But thank you all for being here today. Man, we got a good-looking group out here this morning. Everybody's wearing their back-to-school stuff and their Eagles gear. Thank you for being here. We're excited to be back, right? We're excited to be into the fall. One person is excited to be here. That's all I need. That's great. That's all the energy I need. Yes, we're excited to be here. We're starting something new today as a church. Uh, we are starting what we're calling the Jesus Series, which is a very long series of sermons and Bible readings and small groups, all dedicated to getting to know Jesus better. And you might think, well, isn't that exactly what a church should do, spend their time talking about Jesus? And if you're thinking that, you are right. That's exactly what a church should do. But we've been talking about this really since late spring, that we're doing this thing in the fall, and now it is here. And what this Jesus series is all about, as I mentioned earlier, you individually, you have the option to read some passages about Jesus in the, in the days leading up to Sunday. And then you read those brief passages every day, and then you show up in this space, and we're going to talk about something that you read over the course of the week. And then if you'd like to go deeper in your study and understanding of Jesus, you're welcome to join one of our Jesus series small groups that takes place. And so really what we're trying to do here as a church is offer you every opportunity to get to know Jesus. We want to make this user-friendly. We want to make this easily accessible to everyone because we believe that Jesus is accessible to everyone. In the weeks leading up to today, I've been thinking about the first impressions that I had of Jesus. What's that they say about first impressions? You never get a second chance to make a good first impression. And so I was thinking back of my first impressions of Jesus, and they were all very positive. I grew up in a, a Christian household. My parents uh, were believers, and so they took me to church. And when you're a kid, you go to church because your parents make you. Isn't that right? Isn't that how it works? Yes. And so I remember being a kid. I liked it at first when I was little, right? And I remember being three years old. This is one of my earliest memories, being in this little Sunday school room in the basement of this church. Providence Avenue, United Methodist Church in Chester, and uh, my, my Sunday school teacher, this sweet little old lady, Mrs. Sipple was her name, and one of the things that she taught me about Jesus, the first thing I remember about Jesus is that Jesus loves me, and I was taught that through a song, Jesus loves me, this I know, or the Bible tells me so. And you're welcome. I didn't sing that for you. You're welcome for that, right? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And some of you, if you're my age or a bit older and you grew up going to church as a kid, you heard that jam, right? You heard that tune. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And so that's one of the first things that I believed about Jesus. I believed it because I was a kid and an adult was telling this to me. So I didn't question it. I mean, why would this sweet little old lady lie to me, right? It must be true. Jesus loves me. And growing up in the church still as a child, I was taught more things about Jesus. I was taught that Jesus is my Savior. And so I believed that Jesus is my Savior. What does that mean? I don't know, but I was taught it, and so I believed it, right? And that's how it works when you're a kid, that faith of a child, just believing that Jesus loves me, believing that Jesus is my Savior. We'll later go on to understand that Savior means hero or redeemer or rescuer, that Jesus is my Savior, and as I grew up in the church, one of the other things I learned still as a child is that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Again, not really understanding what that meant, but I was told it by an adult that seemed trustworthy, so I believed it. My first impressions of Jesus were all very positive. I wonder what your first impressions of Jesus were. Would you take a moment and think about that now? I mean, it depends on the environment you grew up in, the household you grew up in, and the influences in your life, and the adults in your life, or what were you told about Jesus? What did you believe 
about Jesus. Some of you are like me. Some people are like me. They had that church background and heard those positive, wonderful things about Jesus. Other people grow up in an environment where they hear that Jesus is, is mostly just like this religious character, this, this fictional character, this religious person, right? So that's the impression that some people, that's their first impression of Jesus. Some people, the first time they hear the name Jesus Christ, it is spoken as profanity. And so that's their first impression of Jesus. You don't get a second chance to make a good first impression, but there is such a thing as being able to take our ideas about Jesus, our preconceived notions about who he is, and put them under the microscope and identify, okay, which of my beliefs about Jesus are true, and which of them are false. I had a friend uh, several years ago who was a missionary in China, and he told me these stories about uh, evangelism in China. You know what evangelism is? That's that thing of sharing the gospel, sharing who Jesus is with other people. And so he'd be meeting with people in China. I believe they're called Chinese people. And he would speak their language to them, and he'd tell them about Jesus. And almost every time he mentioned the name of Jesus, he got the same response. Who? Who is that? Who are you talking about? And there's so many people that had never even heard the name of Jesus. And I got to tell you, when he told me that story, I was a little bit jealous of that. Because you've got a blank slate to work with, right? No preconceived notions. And no stuff that people have heard in pop culture or through, you know, their teachers or through their parents. They just have a blank slate. And how wonderful that would be to work with a blank slate to be able to give someone their first impressions of who Jesus is and what he is all about. We're going to take a look at this reading from John today, John chapter 1. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, feel free to open that up to John chapter 1. John's gospel is unique, and so we have these four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and they are all biographies of the life of Jesus. That's what we have, these four biographies of the life of of Jesus. Now, John, he was the last entry. And so the other writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they had already completed their biographies, and their biographies were already in circulation within the church, the larger church community. John writes his gospel, writes his biography last. In fact, he is well advanced in years when he writes his biography. In fact, by the time he writes his biography of the life of Jesus, all of his old buddies, his fellow disciples, his fellow apostles, they're all dead. He's the last man standing. And so he sits down to write his gospel. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he sits down to tell us who Jesus is and what he is about. So John had this burden, and he almost certainly would have read what Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written. And so now he's going to come at this from a different angle, tell us things about Jesus that we don't already know. And so here is John reintroducing his audience to Jesus. Let's take a look at this, John. Chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I remember being given a, co a copy of the Gospel of John at 11 years old, and I was told, you got to read this. I don't think I made it past that sentence, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does that mean? So here is John reintroducing an audience to Jesus, who he is 
And John describes Jesus as being the word because before Jesus was born, before the Christmas story that the other guys give us, before Jesus was born into this world, he preexisted. He was with God and he was one with God. He was with God in the beginning. And that phrase, in the beginning, it actually means before the beginning, eternity past. It's the same phrase that we see in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, in the beginning. And so that's where John is taking us back. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so what John is telling us is that Jesus is the creative part of God. That through Jesus, through the Word, all things came into existence. Now, he's writing to a group of people that already believed that the world and universe and everything was created by God. And John is letting us know just how key Jesus was and is to that creative process, that creation process. Through Jesus, all things were made and nothing was made that has not been made. In him was life. What is the origin, the source of life? What separates these inanimate objects from living objects in Jesus is life, and that life was the light of all mankind. As you continue to read through John's biography here, you will see this symbolism. You will see him use references to light and to darkness. One of the things we know about John, the disciple, is that before he became a disciple of Jesus, he had been a disciple of another man named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was almost certainly a part of this group called the Essenes, and they retreated from their religious establishment, and they were waiting for the Messiah, and they talked a lot about light and darkness. When we think about light and darkness, we think about good versus evil, right? And sure, that's built into it. But when John talks about light and darkness, he's speaking about something more than that. Light illuminates. Light gives us clarity. Light gives us understanding that light shines in the darkness to provide a clear path for us. And so in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of mankind, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Other translations say the darkness has not understood it, but the darkness cannot and will not overcome the light. I'm going to jump down to verse 9, John chapter 1. The true light, Jesus, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. Now, we're speaking about Jesus in the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He shows up among us as one of us, and we don't say, hey, that's the creator. That's our God. We did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. Very specifically, Jesus was born as an Israelite among other Israelites, a Jew among Jews. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, both Jew and Gentile, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And as we go forward in the New Testament, Paul fleshes out this idea that Jesus is essentially the firstborn among many brothers and sisters as we believe in his name, as we believe in the name of Jesus. There's this transformation process that takes place, that occurs. We're being remolded and reshaped, becoming more and more like Jesus. Verse 14, the word became flesh. This is John's version of the Christmas story. 
doesn't tell us about the manger or the shepherds. He says the word of God, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Now John was one of three men. John, his brother James, and their friend Peter. They experienced this miraculous event where they saw Jesus in his physical form. He was transformed before their eyes. We call this the transfiguration. You're going to read about this later on in the year. They saw Jesus in his glorified form. And so that's what John is saying. We've seen it with our own eyes. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And look at how that statement finishes. It's there in your bulletin. A description of who Jesus is and what he's all about. He came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus was and is filled with both grace and truth. About 13 years ago, I heard a teaching on this, this simple statement because it's so easy. Man, you can read that statement and just breeze on by it, right? Like, John, thanks for the exposition. Let's get into the action. Okay, he's full of grace and truth. Now, what does he do? Let's get on with it, John. But this, this simple sentence, this, this, this few words here tell us so much about who Jesus was and is, that he is the God, that he is the Savior that is filled with both grace and truth. You realize how important this is. Y'all know what grace is. Grace is wonderful. We all want to be treated with grace, with graciousness. Grace is compassion. Grace is understanding. Grace is not being shocked or surprised or offended when people mess up, when people sin. Jesus is filled with grace and eagerness to restore and eagerness to forgive and eagerness to stoop down to our level and pick us up when we fall. That's grace. And Jesus is filled with grace. Not like, okay, he's got like half grace. No, he's filled with grace. Filled with grace and truth. Jesus is filled with grace, that compassion, that understanding. But he's also filled with, with truth. Hours before he's crucified, Jesus has a conversation with the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. He's interrogated, he's interviewed by Pilate, and Jesus says to Pilate, I've came to this world to testify to the truth. That's what Jesus says. I came into this world to tell people the truth. And Pilate asks a very modern question back to Jesus. He says, what is truth? What is truth? You think about the time that we're living in, and I'm not sure it's all that different from how it was long ago, but there are time that we're living in now where truth is questioned. There's this expression that, well, we all have our own truth, and you're living out your truth. What does that even mean? I'm not sure what people mean when they say that. I mean, truth is supposed to be absolute, not subjective. Jesus is filled with truth. Truth is saying that there are such behaviors that are good for you, and there are things that are bad for you. Truth is being able to identify, yes, there are things that we do as individuals and as a human population that are beneficial, beneficial behaviors, beneficial attitudes, things we do that are good for us and for the people around us, and then there are behaviors and actions that are detrimental, things that are bad. We end up hurting ourselves and hurting others. That is truth. 
The truth is some things that we do are wise and other things are foolish. Not every action is equally valid. Not every decision is equally wise. No, there are things that are wise and there are things that are foolish. To put it simply, there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. The truth is there is such a thing as sin. That's real. When we talk about sin here at Hope Community Church, we talk about God and His love for us and the boundaries that He has given us. Because God loves us, He has given us His boundaries to live within. And when we step outside of those boundaries, that's sin. And the truth is, there is such a thing as sin. There is such a thing as right and wrong. There is such a thing as wisdom and foolishness. There is such a thing as beneficial behaviors and detrimental behaviors. And Jesus is filled with truth. Not a little bit of truth. No, he's filled with truth. But don't forget, he's also filled with grace. Jesus is a God that's filled with both grace and truth. The God, the hero, the savior of grace and truth. Let me tell you something. From my God, from my Savior, let me tell you what I want from my Savior. I want grace. Don't you want grace? Isn't that obvious? Right? I want grace from God. Right? I don't know. Maybe you walked into this space this morning with this idea of God, this idea of Jesus, that he's just sitting back waiting for you to fail. Well, guess what? That's not Jesus. You know, this idea of a, a stern and stoic Jesus just waiting for you to mess up so he can wag his finger and say, I told you so, you're naughty. That's not Jesus. He's filled with grace. That's what I want from my Savior. That's what I want out of a hero. That's what I want from my God. When I stumble, when I fall, when I fail, I don't want Jesus to sit back and say, now, why'd you go and mess up again? No, I want grace. And the God that I believe in, worship, and serve is the God that stoops down to my level when I fall and picks me back up and says, it's okay, let's try again. That's my God, a God that's filled with grace. That's who Jesus is, friends. I don't, I don't know what you thought about Jesus before walking in here this morning, but He's the God that's on your side. He's not the gotcha God. Gotcha. Oh, you sinned again. Gotcha. That's not him. Jesus is the God. He's that God that is filled with grace. That's what I want. That's obvious. Don't we all want that? That's what we want. I want that from my God. I want that from my Savior. But I'll tell you something else I want. Maybe this is less obvious. I want the truth. I do. I want the truth. What's the saying? The truth hurts. Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth can be painful. But deep down inside, I don't want to be lied to. I don't want to be pacified. I want to be told what's real. I want the truth. The truth can be unpleasant. The truth can be a tough pill to swallow. I mean, if I'm doing something that's foolish and that truth of Jesus corrects me, that can hurt, that can aggravate, that can frustrate, but I want it anyway. If I'm doing something that might be dangerous and can put me in danger or my loved ones in danger or my fellow human beings in danger, I want to be told the truth. Tell me. If I'm doing something foolish, tell me. If I'm doing something dangerous, tell me. Even if that truth hurts, I can handle it. Give me the truth. I want truth from my God. I want truth from my Savior, even if it hurts. Don't you? 
You don't want to be pacified, patted on the head and say, hey, you know, believe whatever you want, do whatever you want. Everything's equally valid. No, I want the truth. What about the big questions of life? Is there such a thing as the afterlife? We as a church believe that there is. If there's such a thing as an afterlife, I want to be told the truth about it. Don't tell me fairy tales. Don't tell me I believe whatever you want. No, I want the truth about the afterlife. Don't you? If there is such a place as heaven, and we as a church believe that there is, if there is such a place as heaven, I want to be told about it. And most importantly, I want to be told, how do I get in, right? I want the truth. Don't tell me a fairy tale. Don't pat me on the head and tell me everything is okay and everybody gets it. No, I want the truth. I want the truth about heaven. And if there is such a place as hell, man, oh. And we as a church believe that there is. But if there is such a place, tell me the truth about it. I don't want to end up there. Tell me the truth. I mean, these can be tough pills to swallow, but I want the truth from my God. I want the truth from my Savior, from my hero. I want all that grace, but I also want the truth. And here's what we see about Jesus as we make our way through his life, as we see how he interacts with other people. We see that he is filled with both grace and truth. And what you'll notice about Jesus, I hope you notice this, what you'll notice about Jesus is that he never compromises grace for the sake of truth. And he never compromises truth for the sake of grace. Do you know why? And here's the big secret, friends. If you're really going to love someone, you realize that? If you're really going to love someone, you need to present them with both grace and truth. Isn't that right, parents? Think about that, how you interact with your children. If you really love them, you're going to have to give them grace because they're younger than you and they're inexperienced and they're going to mess up and they're going to cross past your boundaries and they're going to fail and they're going to need grace from you, but they're also going to need truth from you because you need both. If you're really going to love someone, you need both grace and truth. The reason that Jesus is filled with both grace and truth is because... He loves us. <laughs> and so I guess, looking back all those years ago, I guess the first thing I learned about Jesus really is true. Jesus loves us, this we know, for the Bible tells us so. Here at Hope Community Church, the God that we believe in, worship, and serve is the God that is filled with both grace and truth. Amen. Please stand as you are able, as we join together in our closing prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for entering into this world. We thank you that you became flesh and, and dwelled among us. We thank you for the, the persecution you were willing to endure on our behalf. We thank you for being filled with both grace and truth, and Father God, in this moment right now, I give you full permission to enter into our minds and our hearts and reshape the way that we think about you, God, reshape the way that we think about your son, Jesus. Let us see you for who you really are. Let us see you as the God that's filled with both grace and truth.
Father God, again, we thank you for this time that you have given us, a time to worship you, a time to celebrate you, a time to grow in our relationship with you. And now, God, that this worship service is over, we pray that you would allow our worship of you to continue. Father God, let us worship you with our lives. Let us worship you by the way that we love and serve one another and by the way that we love and serve you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.